Welcome to Design Thinking Games, a fantasy and user experience podcast. Each episode, your podcast hosts, Tim Broadwater and Michael Schofield, will examine the player experience of board games, pen and paper role-playing games, live action games, mobile games, and video games. You can find every episode, including this one, on your podcatcher of choice and on the web at designthinkinggames.com. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you at patreon.com slash designthinkinggames. If we do this right, we're releasing this on November the 7th. That is N7, the holy day of Mass Effect. And all throughout this uh, series, or all, all throughout this season, I have frequently brought up Mass Effect this, Mass Effect that. I am a Mass Effect fanboy. We talked about Mass Effect the Legendary Edition, and at some point, um, if folks ever have the inclination to go and listen back, you can hear as I gradually talk you, Tim, into sitting down and trying to play through what I think is one of the greatest series of all time. Mm -hmm. At this time, you have made it through shoot like a hundred hours of gameplay between mass effect one and mass effect three yeah so it released just some context we couldn't get it until like may well the legendary edition which is the reboot it didn't come out until may 14th um and so i'm pretty sure i bought it that day and i've been playing on it for what five months six months (laughs) it's a it's big it's a lot it's a big game. Well, I think the idea here is that um, with the rest of the last season kind of like in the, in the backs of our mind where we have introduced some concepts, I think that other gaming podcasts haven't. Things about uh, games in terms of their usability, in terms of their design choice, mm-hmm. user experience stuff. We talk about character class and customization and that and the impact of those design choices on the player experience. Mm-hmm. With all that in mind... This is going to be my opportunity to pick your brain about the Mass Effect universe. Um, And we're going to weave in some of these concepts as we go. So, Tim, tell us about Tim Shepard, Captain of the Normandy. Did I tell you I named him Tim Shepard? I think you did. I, you may not have, and I may have just assumed that you, I, maybe I at some point we just, you were like, I name all my people Tim. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think, yeah, it's Tim Shepard, and it's through that, through one, two, and three. Um, let's tell you about Tim Shepard. Okay, so Tim Shepard is uh, a soldier who is halfway between um, good and evil. I guess they call it, what, Paragon and what's the evil? Whoa, 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 hold back real quick. It's Renegade, but... Renegade. Is Tim, Tim Shepard a spacer, a colonist, or an Earthborn? Earthborn. T- tell us your story now. So you're a soldier, you entered in... Tim Shepard entered into the Alliance at an early age, um, and you pick soldier, and... I was how- a sole survivor from, like, a massacre. Ah, uh, oh. Yeah. I went dark, I guess, really early. I don't know. What. It just seemed the most interesting, like, you know, and then as kind of the first Mass Effect starts out, you're kind of ushered into, like, your place as potential as being a, an important person in the human race or a specter, right? Like, early on in our season, we really talked about, like, the, the importance of your 
ability to customize a character to your liking where, and I think you and I actually took sort of, or was like slightly different stances where I prefer to be more on rails than not. And you prefer freedom than not. I think Mass Effect does kind of like an interesting thing here where you have some amount of choice and there are some amount of RPG elements, but as, as you set up your Tim Shepard for like the first time and then started kind of like fleshing him out as you accrued XP, you have classes and then you have the whole morality train. Mm-hmm. Like how do you feel about your ability to customize Shepard to your liking? Uh, so I, I've never played the originals, so I can only speak to, of course, what's in the legendary edition. Um, uh, I mean, I thought like a lot of the facial features and like the way, cause I'm, I mean, essentially all you're really doing is um, you choose a sex and then essentially then kind of make up the face and voice, right? Um, if I'm remembering correctly, because it's been a while since I set that up in the beginning. Um, I remember thinking there's not a lot of choices and there's not enough big beards. Um, so I got the biggest beard that's possible um, on a bald head, because um, that's that's my go-to <laughs> in any game. It's like, I guess it's just myself. Yeah. What about your ability to like choose like a class? So, so in Mass Effect, you are given a choice of, I think... Six classes. Uh, Off the top of my head, they are Soldier, Adept, uh, Vanguard, Infiltrator, Engineer? That's five. I'm missing one. but Yeah, so let me... I went ahead and put at the very beginning, it's like Soldier, easy class for just wanting to experience a story. And I'm like, check. Uh, And then gameplay difficulty. (laughs) It was just like, oh, just passive story. Check. You know, because I... um, you know, I, uh, I'm not like a first person or a third person shooter typically. Um, and I find that I toggling back and forth between long distance aiming and sniper aiming, as well as like, I come from like MMORPG. So when I navigate the world, I'm one of those people who always inverts the Y axis. Cause I'm thinking right, of right. more like a, a plane or a cockpit to where if I'm pressing forward, I want to look down. Um, yeah, you are piloting your shepherd and not um, becoming your shepherd. Correct. Yeah, and then soldier was the easiest, and I didn't really know at the beginning what biotics were and all of that, so I kind of just went very simple. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, that was kind of the setup. When it, um, at some point, so... So generally what happens is like you kind of like pick your uh, kind of like your your prequel sort of uh, whatever, you know, like you, you're a, a lone survivor earthborn and it suddenly puts you over the shoulder of Commander Shepard walking briskly through the Normandy mm-hmm. um, where you are set to drop down on, um, I think, the the colony Eden Prime. Um, and throughout this, like, you know, it's teaching you some of the controls. This is how you jump. This is how you duck. This is how you aim. Da, 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 da. And it also, I think, gives you your first introduction to conversation and how they handle Mm -hmm. choice in there. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. So the, the conversation piece reminds me a lot of, um, 
like Until Dawn or maybe uh, Man of Madan to where it's like there's certain things you can just be like, okay, screw this and just end the conversation. Or you can delve deeper and ask questions. And then at a certain point, you could ask things that are have an emotional probe to them to where it's like, are you being kind of an ass or are you being like nice? And then there are certain options that are kind of like disabled. Um, and I guess you can only do those if you either A, have information or B, have access that through the conversations kind of query or tree, you know, kind of progression. Or you have to be like a paragon or a renegade to ask or, to, uh, or a certain amount to be able to ask, say something good or ask something evil. If I, so um, very much, um, uh, I don't know if it was anything new, but I mean, I never think about that. I never played this the first time around. So I don't know if that influenced other games. Which yeah, I think have. at the time, this was super interesting, right? Because they do a, they do another thing that's, um, um, they, they take, like, I, I think if you imagine, like, especially traditional, like, PC RPGs, like early ones, where you have, say, like, three sentences at the bottom of the screen, and then you pick one, you don't actually hear your character say them. Mm -hmm. um, you only have the response of the person you're talking to. In this case, not only does your character veer a little off script, so you might say, like, sure, why not? And then your shepherd is going to put that in their own words. Um, but it's also um, one where you actually, like, you know, you have a voice that you choose. Mm -hmm. um, how much control you felt over that? Or did you feel like this was railroaded? Was this, like, did you feel like you could take the conversation in a particular way or take choices in a particular way? Or were you pulled along magnetically without much was the choice only like an illusion yeah i mean that's a good question so if i'm thinking of this right mass effect came out in 2007 right the first one like i'm not sure um yeah yep and so in games that i'm thinking of like call of cthulhu or until Dawn or other games that have this narrative kind of concert. I mean, that definitely came afterwards. So it is totally possible and probably is that it's kind of got it from Mass Effect. And I think you suggested it to me originally because of like Mass Effect won game of the year, I think, or maybe not the first one, but the second one did definitely. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I didn't feel constrained or anything. I, it was, I never experiencing it for the first time I experienced. Um, it's kind of like when you think of like, um, interaction models and, and user experience. It's like, this is kind of what people come to expect after a while, you know, you can sort columns, you know, that's just kind of something that people expect to do. And so like yeah. in dialogue in games, I think at some point, you know, I don't know if it's elder scrolls or if it's, you know, if it's new world or, you know, or, um, whatever the game is per se, but at some point, you know, you feel like you need to have options in conversation. Um, and things you can say. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I felt that mechanic is just has been adopted by games in general now. So um, so not really felt restricted or anything, but just um, didn't know that that's exactly kind of or mostly probably where that came from. Something you said yesterday made it seem like you didn't realize 
how many different directions oh, no. everything could go in. So, like, yeah. So, you know, the first game, the major thing that I'm hit with is, like, and... Ugh, Spoilers from you know thirteen years we're, ago. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna spoil everything. Just yeah. absolutely everything. Thirteen year old spoiler here. Uh, but uh, for a game that came out before the sequel, that won Game of the Year. Um, in general, like there are choices like in the first game that it's not until the end of the first game where you start realizing like oh Rex Ashley versus Caden. Do I save the council at the Citadel? You know these things, and then. It doesn't really hit me until the second game, which is the one that won Game of the Year, that, oh, <laughs> these actions have made consequences. Yeah. And then, right. and then <laughs> I, um, the game is so epic, and it is, I think what I told you is, like, it makes me feel like Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 remind me very much of, like, the Lord of the Rings. Like, it is this huge fantasy epic about the point in time where everything is at the risk of being toppled or destroyed by evil and then all of everyone have to come together to save it so it's like the final fantasy moment in lack of a better term because final fantasy the game is always at the end of a world at the end of the brink of its destruction you know what i mean it's always at that precipice and so the three trilogies, like this trilogy here, um, I did not realize, like, comparatively, like, oh, if you let Aragorn die, he can't save Minas Tirith. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, if, right. you, if you uh, don't like the surly space dwarf, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're not going to he's not going to help you out in the next battle. And it's like, oh, crap. And so having said that, now having played it and knowing that there is a fourth coming at some point, I... I would have to, I think I would, I'm happy with what I did in one, but I would definitely need to replay two because the cha- because of, you know, those choices that I've made in two. Let's talk about like the narrative, like of, of one. There are a lot of things you can do like in Mass Effect one, but you have like a main thread and then you have a variety of side quests. Like, I don't know if you drove around in your Mako and found the space monkeys, but there's that. <laughs> um, I don't even know what you're talking about. And that's why I was telling you, like when I was started just looking on YouTube and I was like, Oh, you can get this or you can see Tali's face or, or you, there's an ending that does this or you can, yeah. you can have like <laughs> relationships between these people. And I was, and I didn't even romance anyone. I didn't even try. I, Cause I didn't even oh, think that wow. you could, and then I turned out. It's like no, everyone can be romanced. Everyone, can. <laughs> it's like you can have interspecies relationships. And I had no yeah. idea, no idea. Well, uh, well, Mass Effect did something that like made Fox News angry back in the day because you could, um, you could have like same sex relationships. Oh yeah, um, yeah. In there, I remember. And um, and Mass Effect got like. I can't say that Mass Effect got dragged by Fox News because I don't think it had a significant impact. But there was a whole thing where, um, like, oh my God, there's porn in Mass Effect. How is this appropriate for porn? You don't actually see really. It's just kind of like nudity, but some people confuse nudity and porn. You know what I mean? We're super desensitized in 2021, but perhaps 2007 was a a genteel time. <laughs> no, well, it's kind of like I always think of it like nudity and like Schindler's List. I'm like, it's not porn; it's nudity. Exactly, exactly. You know, 
Okay, so in Mass Effect 1, um, I kind of want to talk about like the structure of how, of uh, basically like a three clue rule like structure or something similar about how once you hit the title screen, you are given a variety of different paths that you can choose in any order that ultimately guide you to these observations that, oh shit, Reapers, oh shit, Saren, yeah. um, and stuff like that. And I'm curious how you think the flow of the game that the, the, the kind of like you know what i mean like your your ability to like navigate that narr- narrative and whatever path i i'm just curious kind of like what you think and like um i'm really interested in what you think of like the story but yeah. also how you think the story was designed yeah so i think uh the universe is wonderful the character species and the um down to the idiosyncrasies of them interacting with each other, you know, in the Citadel and all that stuff. It's amazing. It reminds me, honestly, of Starfinder, the role-playing game, right? Yeah. It reminds me of, like, the depth of a universe, like, that Tolkien created with Lord of the Rings. And I maybe didn't get that until 2 going into 3, that it was like, wow, this is really... This is just its own universe, its own thing, and I understand... Uh, and I didn't understand that going into it. You know what I mean? Probably like Bilbo Baggins didn't understand, you know, <laughs> or like Frodo, like nice. just like, what is this ring? Okay, I'll take it. And then you kind of oh, realize how it affects everything and destiny and all that. The game is 14 years old now. And so I don't know if the story um, is, um, I don't know if the story actually keeps pace over time in regards to the three clue rule, right? Everyone's seen Star Wars. Everyone's seen many episodes of Star Trek. And so there's a lot of this you can see coming, and I believe, and I knew nothing about it. I'm just playing the legendary edition of the first one. And I think in most, like, the three-clue rule, kind of, like, giving you, like, fleshing out the story, um, I just kind of could guess at the story um, super soon. Yeah. Now, by the time I go, but I, uh, that ended abruptly at two (laughs) so at two it's completely like uh but i think a lot of that is like the onboarding of you have to spend so much time with character development and universe development right in the first one that it's not i you know i didn't uh you can kind of go and drop on planets and explore like in your Land Rover and like find cool monsters and, and interact aliens. And then you kind of find happenstancely, Oh crap, here's people who are slaving or here's someone in the Citadel who's doing something illegal, which I could bring up to him. And then you just kind of get this mountain of fluff that you're like, yeah, well, this is like the day in day out space police kind of deal with this. I'm not. I feel like I'm a specter. I have been empowered by all of the 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 races of the council and I can or, or the species and I can literally just go and act with impunity. And so that's kind of how I took it in one and two to where I was like, I don't have time for this. I'm saving the universe. Um, this is beneath me. you know. <laughs> so I need to keep going. Um, but I came to find out later that by not helping anyone or like doing that stuff and skipping that kind of stuff, you eliminate contacts and opportunities and stories change and what happens changes. But conversely, if you wait too long and you do too many side stories and you do too many side quests, other consequence happens over time, which you can kind of see in the second one when you actually go through the, the, um, 
what is the red Mass Effect portal? Yeah, the one that like takes you to the collector ship. Correct. Or, yeah, yeah. I can't think of the um, name of it. What it is? Yeah, me either. But um, so, but if you wait too long on that, right, more of your crew can get killed. So it's kind of like, here's reality. Suck it up. Any choices you make or don't make, anything you do or don't do, is going to affect the world and the story. And I will say that I've never experienced anything quite like that to that magnitude in any other game except Mass Effect. It's it's fascinating to hear um, because the other thing that, um, not to put like words in your mouth, but like there, at one point there's like a player choice that you could just totally divorce from the narrative that says like, I kind of just want to do the main quest and I'm just going to do it. But as, and that's always fair. That's how I feel about The Witcher. Way too many side quests. Can't do them. I'm just going to follow the story mm-hmm. or whatever. But um I always kind of distinguish that as, um, you know, that's a choice that I, Michael, am playing and not me, um, the Witcher, uh-huh. making. The way you described it, it is very in character, both to, like, I think the the general Shepherd umbrella, but also to, like, Tim Shepherd, that, like, yo, the galaxy is about to end. Being nice and, and like, you know, helping this helping this gentleman retrieve his wife's ashes or whatever is totally Optional. inconsequential. <laughs> yeah. I'm saving all sentient life. I, I'm sorry that you need to um, deliver something, you know, or well, something, let, let, you know, let's, let's talk about how that, um, that like that serious take affected your narrative story oh so like like toward the end um so like what are the cho- what what like what about what was your choice with rex so i will say this um i found a youtube video um that i i that it said mass effect trilogy all squad mates and crew die in the worst playthrough ever <laughs> and i was like i feel attacked because I lost the majority of my crew in Mass Effect 2 when I went through the mass relay. I think that yeah. was it, or whatever. The Omega 4 relay, I think is what it was called. I lost my entire crew, except Zaid. Um, wow, and Zaid is such like a side character. <laughs> yeah. I lost every single crew member. People from 1 who made it over to 2, um, people who were new in 2, um, because... It was, I mean, in the, so for me, um, when I say, uh, to answer your question, I specifically focusing on, listen, we're here trying to save all organic and non-organic life. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I actually like about the game as well. But, um, and to do that, we have to defeat this kind of foe and... There's no time for, you know what you've signed on for. You know what I mean? So one of the things that I maybe I didn't understand so much about the second one is you are kind of putting together this crew on behalf of Cerberus. And so so essentially I was kind of like, oh, you're just going to lose. People die. That's what the life of being a specter is in saving the universe. It's a suicide mission. Yeah. Yeah. So I went on the suicide mission and everyone got killed. <laughs> and then I was like, holy shit. And then I started to realize like, oh, no, you could have saved them. You just had to do this or you had to do this. But if you did that, 
the doctor on the ship or the pilot or like other people like NPCs, you're going to sacrifice NPCs for PCs. And it's just like, oh, fascinating. Uh, yeah. So then when I went into three, it was really dark um, and you don't have prob- anyone. I was all on board for the quest to save the universe find out who's controlling the specters and the geth and finding out the reapers and what they're doing and why they're playing and what's the rationale and in doing that and in saving you know all of sentient life essentially um there was a lot of losses so mine was tragic like the ending of two for me was very tragic. It was very sad. And the ending of three also was sad as well because of two. No, it, it's thematically interesting though, because you had chosen a lone survivor type of character for whom this wasn't their only tragic event. And in a way you opted for, like what I think is really kind of interesting about like the story is that you made choices for the greater good at personal cost, right? At the cost of people you know, um, at the cost of the council, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I think I, your choice to save the council or not. Oh, they was, just keep throwing it up into your face through two yeah. and three and one. And they're just like, so, well, you didn't save the council. And it's like, come on, it's four people. I mean, I know they're representatives of these races. Yeah, but there's surely there's four more people. Exactly. That's how I was looking at it. But no, like, they will not, Mass Effect, they did not like that at all. (laughs) Like, as you, as you experienced and kind of like waffled between Paragon and Renegade, like, what do you think of those systems? Um, I think, um, they are going to be subjective based on what you as a player are tired of dealing with or want to do. Um, so there's times where you want to be nice and you're like, ugh, I don't care. Um, but there's other times where you want to choose that option. Like the alien, like not the alien, but the um, the little angel and the devil on your left and right shoulder. And it's just like, they just pop up for a second. They're like, well, you could be nicer here or you could be more chivalrous or do something more honorable or responsible. Or you could be like, I don't, I'm tired of this shit. Let it be over. Or like, I'm going to throw out a threat. I'm a specter. You don't know who I am, you know? And so it's kind of, they give you that. And then I think it's up to you, like how you want to deal with it or, or not. I think in most instances, I never, it was always like a 50, 50 with me. Um, depending on how mouthy some of the characters got, then I was like, you're getting some, yeah. you're getting some, uh, renegade, you know? <laughs> did you, uh, did you punch the reporter? I did not punch the reporter. Um, but I, um, I probably ended a lot of relationships that kind of <laughs> been better just by being, don't question my authority. I'm the captain of this ship, that kind of stuff. Um, so when it came to my crew, I was just like my way to the highway. You're my crew. I can drop you off the next planet, you know? Um, so I was definitely, uh, in Star Trek terms, I was more of a Janeway and less of a Picard, if that makes sense. There's all these different types of artificial intelligence or synthetic life or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they all have different philosophies. And what I really like about the Geth and probably Legion is one of my favorite characters in the game. Yeah, fascinating. And if I actually went back and redid 
The changes I would make in two would be I would still let the majority of my crew die, to be honest. <laughs> I wouldn't sure. be like, oh, I'm going to save them all. But I would save Legion, and I would definitely save um, not Rex, but I think Grunt, you know? Yeah. That's interesting because they're both kind of like um, almost like infant-like characters, right? So like uh, Grunt is literally uh, like a test tube yeah. Krogan. Um, and Legion is an unshackled AI who kind of like discovers, I think, Shepard's like armor, if I remember right. Um, and starts modeling itself after the standard that Shepard set. Mm-hmm. Um, and both seem like ultimately incredibly innocent in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love the Geth because like the Geth, the story of the Geth, you know, at first you're like, oh my God, they're all bad guy robots. But the reality is, it's fascinating because like they are synthetic machine there's synthetic life that achieved a kind of consciousness and discovered very matrix like that they were enslaved right yeah they, and they all are still unique and individuals yeah. and their experiences are that but then they also kind of connect with each other and they share can hide data. with one another yeah so it's like borgs that are free it's like 709 mm-hmm. kind of you know which i i like that a lot and then yeah um and then it sucks that Joker is such an NPC, but I understand why he can't go into battle and Boy, fight I for you. Boy, I love Joker, Joker man. is Seth, super Seth fun. played by Seth Green. Yeah, he did a great job with that voice. Um, and I would say apart from, uh, I would say the only other person that I really had the feels for that I would be interested enough in saving, I think, is, uh, is Jack. Um, I love Jack. Yeah, Jack's amazing. Again, again, it's kind of like um a uh, so yeah a if, traumatized like my... <laughs> character, right? Like like um yeah, that's a yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so I feel like uh, those are the characters that I would want with me in the end. You know, if unfortunately, like if Frodo had to choose, like okay, this is the. Fellowship of the Ring, but you can only keep three at the end. Who are you going to keep? And it's like, I know that's kind of a stupid way or maybe a morbid way to think of it, but I, that's how I would think of it. It's like, I want Legion, I want Grant, and I want Jack, you know? I feel like it's totally realistic. There's so much in general that I want to ask you around, like, um, sequelization and how you think, like, the, the Mass Effect 2 played against Mass Effect 1 and then Mass Effect 3 played against Mass Effect 2 because the sequels were a deliberate choice mm-hmm. in which... They're actually supposed to model like, you know, kind of like space operas and, and like Star Wars or the second one is always the darkest timeline or the darkest one, right? Yeah. Um, and then the third one is redemption or saving and stuff like that. Um, but there's also like just like narrative questions that I'm really interested in talking to you about. Like, you know, gosh, what's like what's like the saddest moment? Like I have one. <laughs> the <laughs> like saddest a, moment, really. Yeah. Um, um to answer your specific question, that note at the beginning of three, which is just like the hopelessness yeah. of sentient life and innocence, just being, knowing that it can do nothing except be destroyed or be harvested. I mean, that is, that's pretty sad, you know, and that's pretty potent. Now, of course, I will say the second to that before 
to answer your question, is that when Tali and Garrus bite the bullet at the end of two for me, Yeah, that was like, oh, I kind of knew you more. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was like, oh, that, that really hurt a little bit more. And then when <laughs> Legion died, I was just, uh. oh, that was the worst. So um, watch having watched the trailer for Mass Effect 4. Right. And, Let's, we're talking about sequels. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about sequels. Um, but what makes me feel it, it is chilling. It gives you chills, yeah. but then it makes you wonder, like, well, crap. Depending on what ending you chose in uh, three, how's four even going to work? But if four, if Cerberus does have this technology, as the, we know the Reapers do, that allows someone to be brought back from death because it's already happened. Um, sure. Then is all not lost? I mean, can we save the entire crew? Are the Reapers even a problem anymore? You know what I mean? So I, I have a lot of questions, of course, that will not be answered until it's out. But, <laughs> you know, I believe the trailer came out this year, right? There's a lot of things online, too, where people are like, hey, the reason why the Legendary Edition is dropping is because they want people to play through the three again. Yeah. For that save game file to be important. For that into save four. file. That's exactly it. I think, I mean, I think that's what it is. I'm sure they'll pick like a canonical ending, right? Because I, you know, one of the things that like Casey Hudson, I was, I was doing a little bit of like reading. Um, Casey Hudson was like the head of Bioware at the time. Um, and one of the things that he said is that um, Mass Effect 3 was a lot easier to write than one or two because you didn't have to think about continuing or continuity after mass effect three so i wonder if they're going to do something where they're going to pick like a canonical choice um or they're going to like not reference it at all (laughs) right you play a dungeons and dragons fifth edition game that's modded for mass effect right yes yeah so i've played one for pokemon to where you, <laughs> oh it takes fifth edition rules and it, you know, <laughs> you, you, you can be a trainer and as you level up, you can control more Pokemon or own more and have them there. They get powers and then you can eventually like more higher level stuff. And, and so I know that Dungeons and Dragons mods are, are fun. Now having experienced Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, I, I see how this is like a huge, like, um, a world or galaxy of fiction, just like, you know, like I said, yeah. Lord of the Rings, Star Trek, like Star Trek, um, mm-hmm. Star Wars, uh, whatever. And so um, I guess I'm just wondering, like, how long have you been playing it? And is it an official one or is it a fan made one? It's a fan made one. It's an N7 dot world the world is the domain um and it's a fan-made um mass effect homebrew Um, and i think i've been playing it like a year now um and it's 5e so that's pretty recent and it's 5e Uh, my friend uh sofer is the dungeon master so i'm usually the dungeon master so i'm actually a player i play a geth named myriad uh, myriad contains multitudes um and Myriad is a like I, I think Myriad's a cool ass character. Myriad is a philosopher, um, unshackled from uh, he's an unshackled AI who is interested in identifying self from the cornucopia of his personalities. How like his entire journey is like how does he turn we into I? Um, mm-hmm. 
and and yeah, and like like honestly, we're a bunch of like murder hobos. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all. And like, I think we are, we're and, it's, and we're, we're we've sort of become like pirates, right? Like um, like in in a weird like way. Um, and I believe we take we are adjacent to the or just a little bit before the beginnings of mass effect one because we haven't encountered a reaper or anything like that we mm-hmm. are legit just going um through a, a a pretty cool narrative that is um i mean kind of like mundane if you think about like um it's like oh the reapers are when the gods arrive or, or whatever it's like this is like you know pre that or pre sauron right yeah um, this is like second age in Middle Earth, um, where hey, there's still bad guys and stuff. I wanted to play or experience more about the Elcors. I actually thought that that race was super cool. And so in uh, in the Five E homebrew, you can play as an Elcor. Yeah, and that's one of the things to where like um, this is going to sound weird, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. I feel like this sometimes with Legend of Zelda, right? And I'm going somewhere, so follow me. But Legend of Zelda is like a is a is a universe. It's a myth, right? It has people and races and stuff because it's became that way over time. So now we know that there are Gorons, the rock people, and then there are these fish people on the planet, and there's these bird people, and then there's the ancient Hyrulians and the bloodline and Ganon and evil and everything. Okay, so if you just step back and look at the universe, when they made it into like Breath of the Wild and it was a 3D game that you could play that's open world and expansive. It got people's brains thinking to where it's like, so what I'm wondering is, is like, is the shepherd matter so much in Mass Effect? Can you, if Mass Effect was an MMORPG, yes, to where you could make any race of characters, you have a class, and then I'm not saying that there aren't specters or shepherds and those aren't important, you know what I mean? Or specters per se, but and shepherd being like the Luke Skywalker of this, you know, one story or what have you. Like the myth needs that. Like, and I know that Lord of the Rings has done something like this to where it's like, hey, you can just make a dwarf yeah. or a halfling or, uh, or a hobbit, I mean, or an elf, and then you can kind of explore the world. It doesn't have to be the main story, right? It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be with Frodo or Gandalf, but I mean, you can still experience the world as any of the species that are in it. And I was just wondering, like, um, that sounds cool. And from what you've been describing of like this fifth edition mod, I mean, that sounds something that um, would be a lot of fun, but I don't know if that'll ever make it into a video game per se, you know? It's it's really neat. Like what, one of my experiences is that like the world is by without Shepard, and I, you know, I'm a Mass Effect fanboy. Is less interesting than say Middle Earth is without Aragorn, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. um, like it's it's cool, um, but I think it really depends on like the quality of like the story you're involved in. So I think if it were just like a half-assed MMO, it'd probably feel pretty bad. I feel like the Star Wars Online was might have done that better. Um, it, Anyway, like it's 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 interesting, and so like I, I mean, there's an entire world where Shepard did some Shepard stuff, but the galaxy is large. Liara ends up as the Shadow Broker, mm-hmm. um, and has her own life and her own wishes. And and the other thing you forget about is like Liara and the uh, other Asari 
live many human lifetimes. And like, I think it's interesting. Like when I think of like playing like elves or whatever, or shit like Superman, when I think of, when I think of characters that are above and beyond, mm-hmm. I care less about their powers and whether like, or like, Oh, the dwarf can like swing a hammer or whatever. But what I really like in terms of like narrative opportunity is like, okay, what is it like being 2000 years old? How much do you care? about anybody mm-hmm. and like my my suspicion is that like the older you get the less you care um the less of interest there is mm-hmm. um or like with geth like what is it like being multiples and freely going between individual and multiples or freely choosing a personality that's right for the situation like that's kind of interesting the other thing about geth that's really interesting is like um uh, you're immortal Right, mm-hmm. like it, you, you can clone your processes, your subroutines, um, and come back as long as you sync up to somewhere else. Right. Um, so what what is, what is that like? And I th- I find that really interesting. Um, I guess I didn't realize like how much of the universe existed when you told me to check out Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I thought like, oh, this yeah. is a game I'll play it. It's like one, two, three, you're packaged together, whatever. But I guess I didn't really realize going into it like oh my gosh this is this is a mythos this has all the way this is species this is an epic space saga but it's also um how did i not know about this you know what i mean fascinating right yeah so i know about the marvel cinematic universe i know what like about everyone knows about star wars and what disney is doing with star wars and like trying to let's expand the universe and put in more stories and tell more and fill in the gaps and then just grow it right um, and Marvel's been doing that forever, but I'm just wondering, like, do you see it this way? Because you also talked about fiction. Is there can, books? There are canon books that are written, not fan fiction, or yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, it all starts with like the Codex, too, right? I mean, you can you could dump hours into like reading the Codex. Um, they have like a really interesting prequel. Like, what like what was like early Earth civilization like? Beef around the time they discovered the Prothean ruins on Mars and then were introduced to galactic society. It's like shit like that. It's really interesting too. Yeah. So I never considered it like a media franchise. And when you oh, actually there, look yeah, it up, there are like novels, it is, there are comics. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't realize, I don't know how a fandom, and I say fandom instead of like, um, yeah. you know, kind of a media franchise. Like I just didn't realize that there were, there was art and novels and games and like just all of this stuff. And then there's films, apparently it has toy lines. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's a lot. And I'm just like, how did I get oh, to this yeah. point in my life? Like, and I didn't even realize that this cool, and I love Starfinder. And I, and the reason why I love Starfinder is because there was no game or system out there that spoke to my sci-fi and I had giant hopes like we talked you know before dystopian stuff like cyberpunk or whatever but I mean like this has been here for a long time and I just have never for 13 or 14 years I just didn't even know about its existence so I am very um, when you told me to check it, I'm very grateful that I now know and I have a glimpse into this world that I've never did before. You know, Just think about all of the other things that are out there in this wide galaxy of ours. We put a lot of work into Design Thinking Games, so if you like what we do and want to help us cover some costs, then consider supporting us at patreon.com slash designthinkinggames. We also are Design Thinking Games on TikTok, 
Twitch, and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Design Thinking Games podcast. To connect with your hosts, Michael or Tim, please go to designthinkinggames.com where you can request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, game on.